part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruiz. How are we? We're good? Good. Thank you, Taylor, for filling in this morning. It is summertime, and uh, Ricky and his family took a little trip for their anniversary. And uh, appreciate you filling in, Taylor, leading us to the throne. Are you ready for uh, what you're asking for in that song, for the Lord to come? When you say, come Lord Jesus. Are you, are you ready? Is your walk in a manner, as Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 4, that is worthy? Or would you rather he just wait a little while? So that we can get some things maybe uh, straightened out before he shows. Well, before we jump into Ephesians chapter 4, why don't you grab your Bible and start turning that way. Let me give you just a couple of announcements, highlight some things that are in your bulletin. Uh, by the way, make sure you're grabbing one of your bulletins when you come in nowadays because uh, we are updating these weekly and there's new information in there each week. So make sure you, you check these out each week. I'm not going to uh, point out everything every week, what's in here, because I trust you can read and it's... Uh, it's easy for you to grab one of these instead of me making all these announcements. But I do want to say a couple things. Uh, women's Conference is coming up in September. If you didn't grab one of the uh, new women's uh, newsletters, uh, grab one of these on your way out there on the table here by the uh, offering box. You can grab one as you go, ladies. It has some info about all the uh, ongoing ladies' events. also has our women's ministry team uh, contact info in there. And if you're interested in the conference uh, that our ladies are going to this fall, make sure you reach out to one of our women's ministry ladies and. Uh, Begin to plan on that. Also, uh, listed in your bulletin, uh, July, where is it? 25th, that's a Wednesday night. Church family uh, meeting, conference. Maybe you have at your house little family conferences every now and then. Get your kids together. Time for a family conference. My wife did this the other day. There was too much yelling going on. from One kid to another. I was not involved. This time, she said, family conference. And the kids laughed at us. Uh, hopefully you don't laugh when we call family conference at church, but uh, it's, it's got that name for a reason. We're not just having a business meeting. In fact, our uh, uh, bylaws, constitution, whatever you want to call it, they don't mandate that we have this meeting, but our elders just have decided in the past that we want to we give you sort of a, a summer update, and we also want to be able to share our heart for where we see God taking our church, our church family in the fall and in the next couple of years, we want to be able to share some of those things with you. So we just say family meeting and uh, we want to share those. So plan on that. If you're a member of Cornerstone or you're thinking about being a member of Cornerstone, meaning that this is your church family, then you need to be here for that night. If we need to arrange childcare, we'll do that. If you got to bring your dinner, do that. But uh, you need to be here that Wednesday night, if at all possible. Um, while I'm saying that, why don't I go ahead and, and say as well that if you missed last week, we did a little bit different of a message out of Ephesians 4, and uh, you preached to the body. If you were here last week, you know what I mean. If you missed it, grab a CD on your way out or listen online because you need to hear what uh, some of your fellow church members had to say about fellowship, about accountability, about loving one another, about being the body of Christ. So I need you to hear that, especially before uh, the July family conference meeting. Because some of what we're going to be pointing us in the direction uh, towards in that meeting uh, is very, very well related to what you guys had to say last Sunday. Uh, finally, uh, pray Tuesday. 
uh, we're starting off the second year of our brand new preschool, and last year was wonderful. Um, this year, we we hope for it to be even better. And uh, Kimberly, I'll just tell you, she's not in here, so I'll just tell you this. Um, th- this is not a, a, a job kind of thing for her. Uh, she got on, our, we were out of town visiting some of her family yesterday, and she got an email on my phone as we're driving back that one of her uh, kids from last year isn't going to be returning this year. Uh, their family had to make some other decisions, and it it just broke her heart. She she cried in the car because of this little girl is not going to be back, and it hit me in a fresh way that this wasn't just a thing for her to do. This was this is her heart, and she loves these kids. And so Tuesday we're having an open house for anybody who might be interested in a new preschool, and I would just say pray that uh, this next year be even better than last year, and that uh, and that that God just be all over that ministry. That's all I'll say. It's another message for another day maybe for me to continue on. But just be prayerful for our uh, preschool ministry. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We've been walking through the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to this church. If you don't have a Bible, there's some under the seats there just in front of you. I think they'll even put it on the screen. But as I always say, you can't take the screen home. Uh, it's too big to shove down under the back seat of your car because that's normally where you put your Bible when you leave, right? Under the back seat. Your car, just any confession right there. If you lost your Bible, go look in under the seat of your car. That's probably where it's fallen. Uh, bring your Bible to church if you've got your own. If you don't have your own, you can have one of these that are under the seat. They're our gift to you. Ephesians chapter four. Let me tell you where we've been in this chapter. Paul makes a transition from chapters one, two, and three. He told us everything that is amazing about our God and about how our God has saved us. There were no commands. It was just all good news, right? It was the gospel. It was the message of our faith, all wrapped up from Jew to Gentile. Here's how you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Here's what grace is. Here's what the message of the cross means. And we just soaked it in. It was like drinking from a fire hose, but you were just meant to be flooded by God's grace in chapters one, two, and three. In chapter four, he turned to us and he said, as a POW of the Lord, right? And when a prisoner says, hey, let me, let me ask you to do something. We, we pay attention, right? Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, a POW in his own right, turns to us and he says, now listen, here's, here's your job. Knowing what God has done for you, here's what you can do for him. You walk a life that is worthy of the calling. You walk a life that is balanced to what he has done for you already. Put another way, God loves you this much, church. Love him now with the rest of your life. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. In the first three chapters, Paul, in essence, just explained how big God's love is for you, Christian. I mean, if you missed it, reread the first three chapters because it's the bigness of God's love for you. But don't miss this important fact. God's great love for you is the motivating factor towards your activity for him. We don't live out our life in the rest of these three chapters. He's going to call us to the carpet. He's going to ask us to do some stuff. He's going to call us to activity here in the home, in our workplace, in our families, across the board, in front of the lost. He's going to call us to action. But never lose fact, never lose sight of the fact that the basis of your activity is God's love for you. It's not, it's not duty. We don't live 
out of a responsibility towards works in the sense that we are earning his love, he's already done that. He's already shown us his great love towards us. All that we do now is in response to his great love. Do you see that? So here's where he went. Number one, as a POW of the Lord, I'm calling you to unity first and foremost. Brethren, church body, cornerstone, I'm calling you to unity. Greater church of the world, all those who would name the name of Christ, the church down the road there, the church down the road there, the church over there, the church across the pond, all of you from here to there, there ought be a unity of the faith. He went on to say that it wasn't a unity that you you gain or attain to. It's a unity that Christ has purchased. And it's there. Your job is to preserve it. Your job is to guard it. Your job is to maintain the unity. How do we do it? Verse 2, we do it with an attitude of humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance towards one another. That's how we preserve the unity. It starts in our attitude. So the first step in our walking out this calling is walking in humility, kindness, tolerance. It's our attitudes towards one another. We're preserving the unity. If we mess that up, guess what? Everything else goes downhill from there. Don't worry about missions if you can't live together right here. All right? Don't worry about reaching your neighbors if you can't get along with the folks right here. The example of unity, remember what it was? It was the Trinity. Four through six. Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father. They're one. They each have a job to do, but they're one. More than that, Jesus himself has won the battle on the cross, and he's he's earned the right. He's earned the right to take captive all that he has won in the battle and to disperse it among now his new kingdom. Uh, I heard one preacher put chapter four like this. He said that that the church in chapter 4, as Paul describes it, it's that advanced colony of what the kingdom will be. Now think about that. What is the church? Who are you collectively as the church? You're, you're an advanced colonization of the kingdom. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, whether they want to or not. Your job is to be, is to be that spearhead of God's kingdom. You see that? The church in the world, you're the advanced colonization for his kingdom. Christ won it on the cross and he disperses his gifts. Now after the parade of his resurrection and he says, some of you get to do this and some of you get to do this job and some of you get this gift to do this job. But it was all for what? It was all for us. It was all for the building up and the equipping, the mending of the saints and the improvement and the expansion of his kingdom. And so even though each one of us gets our own gift, each though, even though each one of us gets our own responsibility in the family, it's all for the family. And it's all for his glory. And it's all because he's won the right. He's king. He's Lord. And so it all points back to the unity. That's the calling. He's going to continue here. He's going to say now that the equipping of the saints, the mending of the saints that he mentions here in verse 12, the building up of the body in Christ, it is a process. It is a, it's a thing to be accomplished. Although God has broken the chains, we've got to work it out. 
And he's going to get more specific here about how that is. What he's going to do here in verses 13 through 16 is he's going to tell us what the target is. What does the saint being equipped look like? What does the building up of the body specifically look like? But what is the goal of our Christianity here on this earth as we walk it out? He's going to tell us 13 through 16. Paul gives us the target. Here's what your life is to look like. Here's what collectively the body of Christ, by the time it gets to 16, here's what we're to look like. Um, in verse four, uh, four, 13, he's going to say that we're not done, Christians, until these things are attained. Now, the very inference here is that we have work to do. We have work to do. Remember what I said, though? As a response to his great love for us, now we walk it out. So it's not just working it out in a sense of duty and responsibility as if we're earning his love. That's already been granted to us. His unity of the bond of peace through the Holy Spirit has already been granted to us. Our response, our rightful response, our reasonable response, he would say in Romans 12, is that we now live like this. Here's what it's to look like. Until we attain to, verse 13, the unity of the faith. He's going to give us two categories here. The unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Let me give you a broad brushstroke of what these two things mean. The unity of the faith means this. The faith is that is the way of describing the doctrinal stance, if you will. It's the collective um, doctrinal theological stance of the body of Christ. It's what we believe. In a word, it's the truth. It's the truth. Until we all attain to, you could say, the truth. Or until we're all unified in this faith. We've been called to a common faith. We have one faith, he would say. And until we all are in agreement as to what that is, then we're not there yet. There's a process that we have now in response to his great love for us. As we walk this thing out, we've been gifted some prophets, some apostles, those are the guys who, um, who expose us to the truth. They're the guys who, who um, enlighten us to the truth, if you will. Evangelists, those are the guys who disseminate the truth. Those are the guys who spread the truth. They're the messengers, the angels of the truth. They take that truth that has been revealed to us through the prophets and the apostles, and they disseminate it all the way down to the pastors and teachers. They're the shepherds of the truth. They're the educators of the truth. See how that works? Here's the truth. Spread it out and train them up in it. All right? And then these guys, gifted from Christ, equip all the saints, and we all take up our job. When are we done? Well, we're not done until we all attain to a unity of the faith. Now, what I'm not saying here, and what I don't think Paul's saying here, is that we all agree on every little thing. That would be nice. That's not going to happen until we get to heaven. Within this body of Christ, we will never, I'll just be honest, we will never come to complete and total agreement. There are some things, however, that we must find unity over. There are some foundational salvation issues that we must find agreement on, or we're just going to be banging heads. To be a part of the cornerstone body of Christ, to be a part of such and such body of Christ down the road, you know what you get? You get a, a statement of our faith. Every church will have them. 
Well, most churches will have them. If they don't have a statement of faith, you might want to wonder, what in the world do you believe? What you do with that statement of faith is you say, can I live with this? Is this something I can agree to? Can I follow the shepherds, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the leaders of this church? Can I follow those who will be guiding and equipping the saints for the work of ministry, who are, who are leading the building up of the body of the Christ? Can I follow what they say is the common denominator of this body? Now, does that mean you have to, you have to in your heart, agree to every one of those? I would say no. Here's what it does mean, though. You have to be able to guard the unity of that faith. And so guess what? If our body says that this is our statement of faith and you can't live within that, this isn't the body for you. If you go to another body and this is their statement of faith and you can live within that and you can guard the unity of that body of faith, that may be a body for you. Now, I'm not talking about whether their statement of faith is right or wrong. I'm just talking about whether you can guard the unity of that faith. More on that another day. Till we all attain to the unity of the faith. There's got to be a standard which we rally around. If we're going to have unity, we have to find the common denominator of what it is to be in the faith. What are the essentials? What are those doctrinal statements that we all must agree to and rally around? The flag that we wave, the banner that we carry, that we walk under. What is our battle cry? Cornerstone has it. We believe it's right or we wouldn't have it. For Cornerstone to be the place where you walk under that banner, you have to, you have to be able to walk under that banner. It's just that simple. That's the, that's the goal. That's the outworking of this unifying. Christ handed out gifts. Why? Not just so that we could, that we could just go along to get along. We're, we're unifying here. The purpose of the, of the pastors and the teachers is to be shepherding the flock towards something keeping them on a straight and a narrow. We've got to find what that truth is and we've got to be guiding our people all, all along the way. We've got to be coming closer and closer to the truth. The unity of the faith, that's what it is. It's, it's, it's a rallying around the truth. That's part of what we're doing here. Um, the church is, in its essence, a highly educational institution. You understand that, right? We're not just here to gather for fellowship, although we do. We're not just here to gather for worship, although we do, and that is a priority. This has to be an educational institution because we're, we're bringing people to the truth. We're unifying people around a faith. And it can't be this faith and that faith and this faith all in one. There is no true unity. in that. Let's go on. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. You know what the knowledge of the Son of God refers to here, I think, in Paul's mind? It's not just to more knowing. We're not just here trying to create scholars in Bible exposition, although we want you to be scholars in Bible exposition. We're here to educate you, but that's not it. Paul doesn't leave it there. To know Christ, to know the Son, you know what that means? It means you you follow Him, you obey Him. Jesus would put it this way. If If you will be my friend, you will do as I say. I heard a story of a pastor who was... um, preaching one Sunday, and uh, one of his good friend's sons came to uh, church that Sunday, and he knew that his good friend's son was, was a rebellious young man. He was a, uh, a collegiate, and he was, he was kind of doing his own thing. And he said, I want to say something to this young man before he leaves. I don't want to just meet him 
and let him go on. I want to say something that might impact him. And here's what he came up with. He said he, he asked this young man, are you a friend of Jesus? And it, and it caught the, the guy a little off guard. And he says, well, I don't know. What, what do you mean by that? He says, Jesus says, if you're my friend, you'll do, you'll do the things that I say. And so the young man just hung his head and he walked out. Later, he would find out that the young man conformed his life. He, he was a friend of Christ. To know the son means that, that he has an impact on us. To know someone intimately means that they affect your life. So the question is, does, does your knowing of Jesus, does the, the greater understanding of who he is, does it change you at all? If not, I would ask, Paul would ask, do you know him? Do you know him? And you would have to ask with great courage, do I know him? If there's no difference being made in my life, if I'm not conforming to this faith, not just theoretically, not just theologically, but in action, do I know him? Paul would say that uh, we're not there. We're not mature. Until we have come to a unity in the faith. Until we've come to a knowledge of the Son of God. Um, let me just give you a sneak peek here. Right in the middle of, of what Paul wants to accomplish here. What I hope as a pastor preaching this passage to accomplish here. The point is, and, and, and sometimes I think, and here's the reason I want to just stop. Sometimes I, I realize that I just assume too much. And... Um, Sometimes I realize maybe I have assumed too much when I read your Facebook uh, posts. And I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the greater body of Christ out there. They go to some other church. But, uh, and I'm not even on Facebook, so just talking theoretical here. Sometimes I just wonder, what in the world are we thinking? Uh, this past week, Kimberly had told me about some, some things, and this literally was, of other people, but they do claim to be Christians. They do go to another church. And she said, they posted this, that they did this. And I literally, I just wanted to quit. And I wanted to call their pastor and say, bro, let's just quit. And his question rightly would be, well, why? Because it's foolishness what we're doing. Calling people to a standard of truth calling people to respond to the, the knowing of Jesus Christ, and here's what he's done for you. Know, know what he's done for you. Now, now live that out, letting that move you to action and activity, letting that sharpen you, tweak you. It's not working, apparently, because here's what they're doing. And they're posting it for everybody on Facebook. Why do we do what we do? Here's, here's the point. And maybe, maybe I just assume everybody knows this. But Christianity is not the lazy river of life. We took the boys this past week. We were traveling a little bit and um, we stopped in uh, the town where Kimberly and I went to college and where we got married and they built this big water park now. So we took the boys to the water park. Special treat for them. First thing we did, we thought, let's just, uh, before we go run amok and go crazy, let's just get in the lazy river. So we got our tubes, we got in the lazy river. Nothing lazy about a lazy river with a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, by the way. And 3,000 other crazy people, okay, on a 104-degree day, by the way. 
But the whole idea of a lazy river, as I'm sitting floating around this thing, the whole idea is that you just sit there and let the current take you wherever it takes you. And this passage occurred to me as I've been reading through it. You know what? There are a whole bunch of us in Christianity that, that just think Christianity is a lazy river game. That we're in Christ, plop down, and we just let it go wherever it goes. That's not how it works. The proper response to the love of God for you is that your life gets some tweaks here or there. Do you know that? Your life takes some, some, some sharpening. The rough edges get knocked off. You don't get to keep being the person you once were. Paul's going to say here in a moment, we're no longer children anymore. And that's not just infant Christians. When he says that, he has the idea of, of the lost world. We're, we're not like that anymore. So let me just stop right here and say, do you know that Christianity means we, we get sanctified? We become more holy day in and day out. We ought to be growing in godliness. You have to change. You can't just keep going the way you did. All right. I feel better now. Let me keep going. We're moving towards something. We're growing somewhere, Paul might say. The end of 13, he says, if we attain to the faith, if we, if we attain to the unity of the faith, and if we, if we understand what the knowledge of the Son of God is, that is, in, in a phrase, a mature man. That's when we become a mature man. Not just a child, but a man. You know the difference between a child and a man? You have some sense. That's basically what it means. Uh, Corbin, our youngest, just turned five. He's been learning how to swim. And uh, he's got no sense. If dad wasn't there to keep him from drowning, he would just drown. He would jump in the deep end and think he can swim. He's doing better. He's getting there. He hasn't gotten the concept. I've been trying to say to him, listen, son, you can't just do whatever you think you can do right here. Dad has to catch you. If I don't catch you, you go under and don't come back up. You get that, right? Oh, I can do it, dad. I can swim. And he's just going outside. He's just beating the water to death. But in his, he doesn't know. A child doesn't have their wits about them. They're not fully mature. They don't know. Your two-year-old doesn't know that they have to wear a jacket in the winter when it's snowing. You have to tell them, son, daughter, put on a jacket. At some point as your child grows older, they've got to figure out, it's winter, I need to put on a jacket. At some point, Corbin will figure out, I can't touch, therefore I shouldn't get in. Or I can't swim yet. And so I will go under. But right now, he doesn't know that. What does he need? He needs a parent. He needs a guide. He needs somebody there coaching him along. He needs a pastor, a shepherd, a teacher, somebody there guiding him. But eventually, you know what? He can't stay where he is. If he's 16 and I'm still holding him, then there's something defective there, right? Something is missing. Uh, my pastor growing up, I remember him preaching a message one time on spiritual growth and maturity. And he said, uh, and the, the, the image never got out of my mind, partially uh, that's not a good thing, is because he said, some of you came in here this morning and you're grown-ups and you're wearing diapers. And I immediately just got this picture of, of these people flooding into the church and they're, they're 70, 80 years old, but they're in diapers. Spiritually speaking, that is, that is an apt picture of some of us because we've not matured. The difference between a child and a mature man is what Paul's looking for. 
He says here that, that there should be a maturing going on. Verse 13. What does that maturity end up looking like? Until we attain to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In a word, Christ is the standard. Are we going to achieve it in this life? No. You're not going to make it. But here's what Paul's looking for. He's looking for you no longer to be a child. He's looking for you to reach this point where you're a mature man and you can fend for yourself and you've still got to paddle, you've still got to swim, but we don't have to hold you up. We don't have to guard you. You can fend for yourself. The ultimate goal is that, is that you become like Christ. He's always the ultimate goal, right? And it gets more specific here in 14. To become like Christ, uh, and by the way, Christ is the incarnation of the Father. We want to know what the Father looks like? We look at Christ, right? You know what the incarnation of Christ is here on the earth? It's the church. It's you and I. It's us individually and it's us collectively. We are, we are the explanation of Christ here on earth now that he's gone back to heaven. You get that? Like Christ was in the flesh, a picture of God. Uh, I've told you the story before of a little boy who was uh, in class and he was coloring a picture. The teacher says, color whatever you want. The teacher walks around, looks over his shoulder. Little Timmy, what are you drawing? He says, it's a picture of God. She says, you can't draw a picture of God. Nobody knows what God looks like. He says, they will now. There in crayon, he had drawn a picture of God. That's what Jesus is. He's, he's God the Father in crayon. You get that? He was something we could reach. He was God within arm's length. You know that we become that as a church? We're supposed to become that. As we mature in Christ, we become that picture of Christ. We become Christ in crayon for the world. The world should be able to look at us and see a reflection of the sun. We're kind of like that that solar eclipse little gizmo you get if you want to look at the, the sun and the, and the solar eclipse. Don't look directly at the sun, right? It'll mess up your vision. We can't, we can't fully get it. We can't fully see that. So what do you do? You get one of those little mirror things. You cut a hole in the card and you build one of those little gizmos and you can look at the reflection of it. That's what we're to be. We're to be the reflection of the sun so that the world can grasp who Christ is so that then they can grasp who the Father is. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God to maturity. What is that maturity? It's Christ in a word. Spell it out for us, Paul, verse 14. Just makes sense that if you're going to be a mature man, you're no longer to be children. That's just kind of elementary, right? If you're going to be a man, you can't be a child any longer. And a child looks like my two sons in that great big wave pool yesterday. Water park, you've seen these? They have these giant wave pools. We got in, we had a, we had a little inner tube, and we're all standing there, and everything's calm. There's about 400 people in this giant pool and it slopes gradually, got to down about five feet. The boys are hanging on to their little raft. Kimberly and I are standing there. Everybody's just enjoying the cool water on a hot day. And then all of a sudden this buzzer goes off and people start to freak out and the waves just start going crazy like this. Yeah, And the kids just start flying everywhere and I'm holding on to them, trying to make sure they don't go everywhere. And Kimberly's holding on to them, trying to make sure people are banging into people. And it's, it's, it's fun, but it was mayhem. That's the picture right here. We're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You know, if I were to have let Corbin go on that raft, um, 
for more than just a half a second, he would have been gone on the other side of the pool. He'd have been tossed to and fro. He'd have run into people. He'd have smashed into people. He'd have flipped over. Not sufficient on his own. Paul says, that's not how we're to be. Church, we've got to grow up. We've got to mature. We can't keep living like children. Part of walking out our calling, being unified together, is that we absorb truth, we walk it out, we put feet on it, and we grow. We mature. We start to look like Christ. We're not just banged around here or there. It was fun when we were in the water and I was holding on to the boys. It was kind of fun. Later, I went up the tower to go down one of these giant slides and the tower was right next to the wave pool. And as I'm going up the tower and I'm waiting in this ridiculously long line with uh, the boys, I'm looking down on the wave pool and the buzzer goes off and people start to flail around. And you know what it looked like from above? It looked ridiculous. <laughs> it was kind of fun while we were in there just banging into people. Oh, this is fun. From above, they just looked like a bunch of idiots pounding into each other. And I started to wonder, I wonder if that's how God kind of looks at us. The children of God, not maturing at all. You got guys over here floating around on a lazy river, just kicked back. Letting the current take them wherever they will. You got guys over here just banging into each other. Every wind and wave of doctrine. Now, is that what your life looks like? Does your life look like one of those? You just cruising along, letting the current of life take you wherever you want? Or are you just banging into things wherever? Falling off your raft? Choking on the water? Because you've got no maturity. You've not grown in the faith. Your knowledge of Christ isn't changing you. Um, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 3 that um, not only are we not to be children, he calls us infants. And he equates infancy in Christianity to being like mere men, or he says men of flesh. The point there is, is that us continuing to live as Christians, as children, is kind of like us staying out of the faith. It's like us living in the flesh continually. It's being like mere men. It's like, it's as if the Holy Spirit is not in us at all. That, that's not to be us. You know what the world looks like without truth, without conformity to a knowledge of the Son? You know what happens when you're missing that foundation? You know what happens when you're missing that anchor of the faith, of that coming to know Him and being transformed by Him? You know what happens? Well, just take a look in the world. To a greater degree, that's, that's what he's talking about. Whatever idea comes up, I'm tossed that way. Whatever the wind of doctrine is, I'm tossed that way. Um, historically, let me just give you a little brief history lesson here. Historically, uh, we in our humanity have been searching for truth. We want to know what ultimate truth is. We want to know what real love is. We want to just boil down life and humanity in an oversimplified way. We've been looking for truth. And what is real love? And man has been on a search. Problem is man's been looking within. And you got a whole compendium of guys historically throughout history who've, who've said, here's what truth is. Here's what life is. Here's what love is. Here's the meaning of life. Here's what ultimate love is. Until the next generation comes along and this guy says, no, this guy was wrong. And so this, this is what it is. And then you got the next guy on the bookshelf and he says, no, those guys were wrong. Here's where they went wrong. And this is right. And you just get a collection of these guys. You know what ultimately happened right about the 20th century? 
instead of improving upon, somebody got wise at least and said, you know what? We can't just keep going because we're just picking our own deal. Why don't we just say that everybody gets to pick their own thing and that's what truth is? And that's where we are. Instead of saying we can figure out what truth is, which we can't on our own. We need God to tell us what truth is. Instead of at least trying to figure out what the truth is, we've just given up all hope now and said, whatever you think truth is, that's truth to you. And that's good enough. Is that accurate of our society today? I think it is. In a broad brush stroke, whatever is right in your mind is right for you. And how dare I tell you what you think is right is wrong. And so what do we have now? We have a world that's just tossed to and fro. It's that big wave pool out there. What do we need? We're conforming people. God has handed out gifts to his church to establish this advanced colony of his kingdom. What should this colony look like? It should represent the kingdom of the future. There should be some organization to it. And he gives us each role to play. We should be attaining to the unity of the faith. We should be rallying around the doctrines, the theology. That's why we teach the word here. I don't just come in here and tell you what I think about God. We should let the knowing of his son transform us. Until what? Until maturity. When do we get there? Well, we get there ultimately when we look just like Christ. Well, how do I know I'm on my way? You know you're on your way when you can start to swim a little bit. I mean, can you sit down with somebody across the table and explain to them what it means to be a sinner in basic terms? Can you tell them what it takes to be at peace with God? Can you do that? Those are parts of the unifying of your faith. Are you linking on to some of those things where you can explain them in an easy way? Are you maturing in some of those ways? Can you swim a little bit? Can you hold your own? I mean, it's okay for, for us to hold up the children of God for a time. But Paul would say, there's got to be a time where you get off the raft. Uh, I found in that wave pool that uh, even as the waves were coming, I, as a grown-up with my two sons, I could stand because I could touch. And if I had a strong base, I could stand as the waves were coming. And I think that's what Paul wants here. I think that's what Paul wants. We've got to have that foundation of truth underneath of us, that relationship. We've got to be growing strong enough to where we can stand when those waves come. Keep going here. He lines up here some of those waves that come. Don't be children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine. Instead, we fall for some things. Trickery of men, craftiness, deceitfulness, scheming. Let me tell you what these words are and we'll be done. The word trickery is the Greek word kubos, K-U-B-O-S. The idea of throwing dice, throwing the cube. It's a picture of gambling. It's used for um, a charlatan, that guy who moves that pea around in the, in the shell. It looks one way. You think the shell, you think the pea's over here, but it's really over here. He's playing sleight of hand with you. Until we can figure out and not, by, not be tricked by the sleight of hand, then we're not mature. Craftiness. The word for craftiness is panergos. It's a compound word. Pan means work. Ergos means all, all work. It's, it's this picture. It's the picture of the guy who will do anything. He'll do any kind of work. Okay. Panergos craftiness means that he'll do anything 
He'll be fraudulent even if he has to, to convince you of something. It's the guy who sells his car and he says, there's nothing wrong with it. He'll do anything to get rid of that car. He won't tell you about this or that that has gone wrong with it. He won't tell you about the frame being bent. What is it? It's fraudulent. He's being crafty in his sale. Deceitful. The word P-L-A-N-E. Plane in the Greek. We get the word planet from it. A planet is not a fixed point in the sky. Our ancestors realized early on that the planets, they move. They're shifty. They are deceitful. They might seem to be in one place, but then you realize, no, it's in another place. They're deceitful. They move. They wander. They're not fixed. They're not sure. How do you handle that, church? How do you handle it when people are, when they're charlatans, when they're fraudulent in their teaching? How do you handle it when they're crafty in what they're trying to sell you? How do you handle it when they are deceitful, when they're moving, when they're not fixed, when they're not sure? And they have got no anchor to tie them down. The last word, scheming. The word methodia, we get the word method from it. It's a con man. He lies. He gets your confidence and then he robs you. He uses a method or a scheme to steal from you. So Paul says we can't be like kids anymore. Tossed to and fro by every trickster, crafty, deceitful, scheming guy out there who says, no, this is truth. No. Tucks it up his sleeve. No, this is truth. What is the goal? Maturity in the body. Are we, are we growing in godliness? Do you even realize that there is a growth to this Christianity? Or are you on the lazy river? Let me read this last verse. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, how many of us? All of us, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of how many? Each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. When I was, uh, I was in high school, Ninth grade football team. I had a coach. He was kind of ruthless. 80s and 90s, you could coach in a way you can't today, right? You get thrown in jail for some of the things they did to us when we were kids. And even before that, if you've heard stories of Bear Bryant and how he coached, I had a Bear Bryant kind of coach in ninth grade. At the end of practice, 100 degree Florida weather, you still could not take your helmet off until you got back to the locker room. Practice wasn't over just because coach blew the whistle and called us all up. Coach blew the whistle, he called us all up, you left your helmet on, chin strap buckled until he was done and you got off the field to the locker room and then you could take your helmet off. We had a guy who decided he was going to take his helmet off, unbuckled his chin strap, he's standing there, coach is talking and uh, decided he was too hot, took his helmet off and coach decided in the middle, he never missed a beat, but in the middle of his lecture to us at the end of practice that he was going to make an example of this guy, Coach Barnes, I'll never forget him. Had a football in his hand. Poor Earl. Earl took his helmet off. And as he continued to talk, he looked this way and threw the ball on a line and hit Earl right between the eyes. And this came to be known as earling you in the head by the rest of us. And we would laugh and say, but watch out, coach, or Earl you right upside the head. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't just 
play your own game. You didn't just do your own thing. We were all in this together. You couldn't just be the prima donna and decide, well, I'm not going to carry my weight. I'm not going to do what coach says. You know, the Puritan church had their own uh, way of earling you in the head. You read about the Puritan church, they'd have a deacon with a long stick, right? What do they call that, Seth? You know what they call it? Like, it wasn't a cattle prod, it was just a long stick. That was the deacon's job. I think it's still the deacon's job in the Baptist church. We just don't give them a stick anymore. Um, and if you fell asleep, if you weren't paying attention, they'd walk down the aisle and they'd, they'd give you a little, eh, a little jab like that. Why? We all got to carry our weight. That was a little overboard. The point is, we've all got to carry our weight. We don't, we don't get to stop. We don't get to quit. We're not on the lazy river Christian tour here. Are you, are you growing in godliness, Christian? I, I hope you are. I hope you are. And as a body, you know, we talked about this last week, accountability, growing together. As a body, we should be helping one another. There ought to be, albeit in love, and I didn't, I didn't get as far as I wanted to today, this whole thing wraps up for Paul in the spirit of love. There ought to be among the body of Christ this unifying around truth in this overwhelming sense of love that, that among each other, in a very loving way, we grow in godliness together. If we've got to poke each other every now and then and say, hey, what about this? We do it in love. We do it in love. Let's pray. Lord, there's a, there's a whole lot here, and there's more than, uh, than I was even able to get to this morning. A bit off, frankly, more than I could chew. So, Lord, my prayer is that um, as each one of us leaves today and we boil this down in our hearts, that we would, if need be, be convicted of where we are in our walk. Ask us the question, Holy Spirit, are we walking in a manner worthy of the calling? Are we walking in a manner worthy of your great love for us? We're going to sing, Lord. We're going to sing here before we leave about how you love us. And so, Lord, would you, would you have your way in just these last few moments? We give you this time and we say, we say, God, wherever our lives don't line up with your truth, wherever our lives don't line up with the knowledge of the Son of God, Lord, do whatever it takes to mature us. Grow us. Grow us just one more notch in our stature to the fullness of Christ. Lord, help us as a body of Christ and as the leadership of this church in love to grow this flock up so that, so that they're not tossed to and fro. by every wind and wave of doctrine, by the craftiness, the trickery, the deceitful scheming that we know the adversary is surely behind. Would you grow us beyond those things so that we can, we can touch bottom, so that we can touch bottom and stand tall even as the waves crash, even as the waves crash. Lord, both challenge and encourage us as we go this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand? Taylor's going to sing. You don't have to sing. 
why don't you just uh, why don't you let the Spirit speak to you this morning about where it is that um, where you need to be sharpened. Amen. I've said before, hadn't said in a while. If um, if we're not growing through this, then uh, we've wasted an hour, hour and a half this morning. I mean, if we're just going to open this and not be changed and go out and be who we were when we came in, no adjustments to our life, then I suggest you go fishing next week. Go out, be on the lake. Don't sit in here and listen to me. Don't, don't listen to the Word of God. And I say that. I say that half-joking. Because I trust that the Word of God can transform By the hearing of God's word, you can be changed. Maybe this morning, maybe this morning you need that, that, that original change. Maybe the word of God has been opened to you by the spirit this morning in a way that it really hasn't been before. Maybe you've never known. Maybe you thought Christianity was, was a faith of your parents. Maybe you thought Christianity was, a, was an attending of a church on Sundays and bringing your family to a Sunday school. Maybe you thought it was that punching of the clock each Sunday morning sort of thing. Maybe this morning you're starting to realize that, that, that Jesus died for something more than just your Sunday morning attendance. He died for your life. You've been bought with a price, the Bible says. A high price. The blood of Christ. He's purchased you. He's purchased you out of your debt of sin. The Bible says we're liars, we're thieves. We're adulterers, at least at heart. We are, by our own declaration, at odds with God, separated from Him. We've walked away from Him, our Creator. But because of Jesus, He's made a way for us to be drawn near, drawn close. Maybe this morning, you've got to take that first step to become a born-again child of God. Birth is the first step to maturity. And you can't skip it. Amen? You can't skip it. So why don't you listen to the Spirit this morning? If you want to talk, I'll be at the door. You can pray with me up here. Why don't you pray for yourself in this last moment? Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.